0: Welcome to the Using the Whole Whale podcast, where we learn from leaders about new ideas and digital strategies making a difference in the social impact world. This podcast is a proud production of Whole Whale, a B Corp digital agency. Thank you for joining us. Now, let's go learn something. Week on the nonprofit news feed. We are talking about an interesting story of how there was a SWAT raid on a nonprofit and also talking about some chatbots gone wrong, news from Churchill Downs, and some other information as we kick off Pride. How's it going, Nick?
1: It's going great. So, George, I'm excited for this podcast. We got some stories for our listeners. So this first one has made the rounds both an activist Twitter and nonprofit Twitter because the first headline we want to talk about is that SWAT has raided the organizers and supporters of a bail fund for protesters protesting Cop City down outside of Atlanta. So the Atlanta Solidarity Fund is a nonprofit that offers bail and legal support to activists in Atlanta and has seen three of its board members arrested on charges, quote, of money laundering and charity fraud, according to The Intercept and others. The arrests were carried out by the Atlanta Police Department, SWAT, and the Georgia Bureau of Investigation and featured fun things such as helicopters and about 20 officers with bulletproof riot shields going to arrest these organizers for, quote, charity fraud. So the fund is part of the registered nonprofit Network for Strong Communities and also provides grants for, quote, anti-repression work in Atlanta. So they're a, a civil rights organizing organization. This incident marks potentially the first time or at least the most prominent story of bail funds and legal support groups being targeted. These the bail fund movement are traditionally important in social justice movements, and this is presumably the first time this has really been they've been really targeted in this manner. Um, so the impact of these arrests on the operation and the fund and the larger legal ramifications remain uncertain. But the arrest caused quite an uproar on activist Twitter. The video with the arrest went viral because you see all these SWAT vehicles kind of descending on like suburban Atlanta. And the charges themselves are pretty ridiculous. Charity fraud, I'm not entirely sure what that means. But according to the charges, including mismanagement of funds on things like buying lawn signs, which seems like something that an activist organization might participate in. But the backdrop of this is the protesters that they were supporting have been protesting for many months now the building of Cop City, which is a very expensive multi-million dollar police training facility outside of Atlanta that's been held up by protests for the past several months. The juxtaposition here is that protests protesting the excessive use of police force and the militarization of police force have themselves (laughs) been arrested by a bunch of cops in armored tank type vehicles. George, I don't really know what to make of this. I think we need to learn more, but this seems pretty escalatory on on the the behalf of the police and the legal system in Georgia. And and it seems potentially using nonprofit law for presumably politically motivated reasons. What do we think about this?
0: Yeah, I mean, the irony here, sad irony really is that these are protests against the militarization of the police upon which military level force with regard to helicopters and other equipment was used to basically round up without warrant according to this article without warrant community activists so i think they proved their point in the actions demonstrated by the atlanta law enforcement so this is additionally dangerous i think too because as you mix in new technology of tracking individuals at events and protests and being able to track them down in their homes and then again mix that with excessive force this is something to to watch for sure and and yes i'm i'm not sure the fact that they found this like loophole with charity law and how funds are being distributed but clearly this is something to watch and nonprofits play a key role in being safeguards of the militarization of the police albeit it's very clear that some of the repercussions may be the use of that Militarized force when you're trying to protest it, so you know point made for sure here. Yeah, it seems a little bit like a
1: a cell phone there, but I guess we'll continue to follow this story. This is increasingly becoming national news as the Cop City protests have have drawn on, and I guess it comes down to the point of you know, the police, National Guard, et cetera, may be called in to clear the protests, And that's going to when that happens, if it does, which potentially seems likely will be a, without a doubt, a top national news story. So something will continue to follow. George, I want to take us into this next story. And I'm just going to read kind of the the description and I'm going to kind of tee you up because I know you've done a lot of thinking about this. But this next story is that an AI chatbot for the National Eating Disorder Association, or NIDA, was taken offline within a mere several days of going live. And there's a whole bunch of threads in this story and it touches on, on kind of all of the different aspects of what we care about, the effective use of technology, safety and technology, nonprofits. George, what's your take on this story?
0: Yeah, the timeline here is important. And, you know, just to at the high level, it's the National Eating Disorder Association implementation of this chatbot, albeit this chatbot. May or may not have been a actual LLM or machine learning. It's not entirely clear, though they do state that wasn't using GPT technology to, to run and respond. It was developed out of Washington University and then taken over by a group called CAS.ai, cas AI, which was funded in October, was renamed from a previous company, and it shows two people on its full-time staff that essentially implemented this bot to show up for people that were in maybe eating disorder questions crisis adjacent conversations on on the site to answer questions originally meant to be a sort of narrative chat meaning that it had pre-programmed flows in it though quickly went off script when tested i think what i saw in a lot of articles from fortune Wells, cnn wall street journal npr and you know the list seems to be going on with reporting is that the headline is that nita is in a labor dispute with their call center which has for a while now been receiving huge demand outstripping their ability to meet the the need so to speak and so they were looking for alternative solutions one of those solutions presented by this this researched bot that could potentially handle some of those conversations at least in theory not the same type of narratives that labor was so I think this gets caught up in a little bit of a oh my gosh the robots are coming to take our jobs look here we have a labor dispute and you know a nonprofit and you know what I found interesting that it I was hard pressed to find a lot of details. I had to do a lot of my own digging, a lot of details on CASS.ai, C-A-S-S a startup funded health focused chat company that sold this and implemented this for the purposes of people with eating disorders. And I'm waiting to see a bit more about how this actually happened and whether or not this frankly should have even been approved for sale. You know, I look differently. I'm not maybe drawing a direct correlation, but let's just say there wasn't a lot of anger at let's say the, you know, Walgreens that rolled out Theranos machines because they were told by doctors that had researched it that these machines would do blood testing. Sure, that may have taken away jobs for other people doing blood testing, but the headline was Theranos, company, sell something they said was safe, did a certain thing in a certain way, and it didn't. And so I am not absolving or accusing either side here. But what I'm seeing is one type of narrative, which is labor dispute related to crisis text line conversation type. Sorry, not crisis text line, but crisis conversations through Nita. But there's another narrative that i'm very closely watching because i am very concerned about child facing chat in the context of relationships or crisis crisis adjacent conversation where we expect an ai to handle the many edge cases that can go wrong when you've got this type of large language models set up, set against the purpose of people having that type of intimate conversation. Yeah, George,
1: thank you for for laying that all out so succinctly. And I'll add that the extra piece of narrative here is that shortly after the AI chatbot went online, folks were pretty easy it was pretty easy to see that it was able to go down those misguided rabbit holes and the resulting kind of PR storm resulted from a semi-viral Twitter post of people identifying kind of the lack of of safety and guardrails on this technology. But George, you bring up a really important question, which is the use of AI chatbots and these new emerging technologies with both at-risk people of all ages, but also children in general, who, unlike adults, are probably more predisposed to, you know, all, all sorts of risks associated with, with new technology that discerning adults may have less trouble with. Are, are we in need of some kind of, I know, you know, this isn't a policy podcast, and these are really complicated questions. Would you advocate almost for like a moratorium on GPT style chatbots designed and marketed towards children of a certain age? Are we at the point where the technology is just not ready? Or, you know, let's say Sesame Street wants to roll out like an AI chatbot. Should that just right now be like, a hey, this technology is not mature enough where, and the risk is too high for those communities that if you're an organization thinking about this, regardless of the regulation side, if you're an organization thinking about this and you're communicating to children or other at-risk communities GPT chat should not be on the table right now? Or are there companies doing it safely enough? So, like, what's your thinking around this, like, at a macro national level?
0: I think policy right now is greatly lagging where it needs to be. And frankly, I think that's also a symptom of the speed with which these GPT tools have been implemented and adopted. We went from not a sort of slow, 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 and we finally get their analogy is autonomous driving. Like we've slowly seen them. Here's the camera. Here's the LIDAR. Here's the, all right, it's driven this many miles, but we had five levels of safety from the, you know, the powers that be in policy for here, how, here's how you test the five levels of whether or not we let an AI drive a potentially deadly vehicle around other humans. We're now letting these types of chats be driven cognitively, you know, I make the analogy to an AI driven autonomous school bus without testing, throwing kids in it and saying, let's hope for the best out there. I am, I have yet to see what I would consider a properly tested, safe, child facing chat. That's backed by an LLM right now. And again, I I have to, I'll say it as many times as I possibly can. Context matters. So I was having this conversation on LinkedIn and other threads, and someone said, well, wait a minute. Kids can already go on to ChatGPT, onto Bard, onto Bing Chat, and that's absolutely true. However, the context matters. The context matters. If I go on to my banking app and a chat pops up, I'm suddenly comfortable putting in my banking information so it can reference my account and help me with that. If I go onto a dating app, which I've never done but it's there saying hey chat with this thing to make your profile better guess what i'm probably going to be okay putting back and forth information with regarding to what i'm looking for in a partner and guess what if you put a chat on a crisis adjacent page facing young people they're going to have intimate conversations with it and if i put it on chat gpt they may have a range of conversations but the assumed knowledge of that ai it's not a doctor chat the assumed knowledge is broad it's general And right now we're going through an adoption learning curve and normalization of how we interact with chats, what we assume that they have been able to be trained on, and we're not there yet. And so that's why I think we need to start looking in the corners, the point of access, the point of sale, the point of conversation for policy, because looking with a broad view of the overall market and slowly rolling out policy, Saying like, oh, we should only let five, you know, major players and go through this approval process for LLMs. Like surprise, like the cat's out of the bag. We're done here. Like it is already mass market ability for me to roll up a chat in any manner of LLM. It's open source. I can do it in my local machine. I can spin up a server wherever I want. That is out. And so suddenly saying, oh, we can only allow these organizations to use it, and that's what safety looks like. I think safety has to look at point of contact, and I would start with child-facing contextual chat and really throw some guardrails against companies that are trying to make money, because that's what companies do, make money by spinning up health-related chats or anything that is crisis-adjacent for especially youth. But yes, you bring up all adults, sure. And that's where policy needs to step up immediately immediately yeah no that's a great that's a great analysis
1: george it almost makes me think the surgeon general recently gave an interview released guidelines about social media and the health risks particularly to to adolescents and youth around social media usage uh, which is (laughs) well known and documented it now for, for quite a while maybe we need similar sort of urgency around these new ai and emerging tech but I think an important conversation, one will continue to have, and I really appreciate your insight and effort, George, because I know you think a lot about this because <laughs> we need good people who care about, people putting in that, that thinking. So I appreciate that.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's in our, it's in our AI privacy policy, our AI policy right now as an organization that we consider all LLMs and GPT models first draft, not final draft a first draft, not final draft, which means I am very uneasy letting chat systems be user-facing without you know, full context training and understanding of the context of which the thing will operate and where you can expect to get information that is accurate in its lane and where you're just going to be driving off the lane. And you can at least tell the chat to say, like, you don't answer these questions. Now, there's still ways to trick and get this thing to jump rails even doing that. But right now, I would strongly say, for any organization working on their AI policy to adopt a first draft, not final, and to avoid, unless there are specific cases where you feel like the context is relevant and okay, to to not make that stakeholder facing, especially if that stakeholder does not understand the context.
1: Absolutely. I think that's so important and for nonprofits to be having those conversations now. The time is now to have those conversations. I think we would argue because there are, <laughs> George, we said it before, but if you have a nonprofit, there are people at your organization, you've tried it out. So at the very least. One
0: more thing also that just kind of got me was that as Nita was showing up at the top lines of all of these headlines, very discreetly in in May when this was going down, cast.ai, cas.ai, cast.ai took down a page on their former company name that is the manager of Tessa, they, they actually took that page down where they were talking about how they built it and had implemented it. It is yet to show up. But unfortunately for them, web archive, archive.org. If anybody's looking to dig into this archive.org, you can find that page. And you can see how they talk about it and how they're saying it's ready to be rolled out.
1: Hmm. Seems like seems some
0: curious. It's interesting, huh?
1: Seems like there's some questions that might still need answering. And as I have been known to say, we'll keep an eye on that one. All right, I can take us into our next story. And this is just going to be a real quick one, just because we were following this story. But George, you and I love animals. We love horses. Deadline is reporting that Churchill Downs, the home of the Kentucky Derby, is actually shutting down in the wake of horse deaths, at least 12 deaths there this racing season no one seems to really know the cause perhaps course conditions or, or some other kind of factor but this is pretty significant what do we think about this
0: i was i was pleasantly surprised actually to see some action being taken on this i think there really were some questions of animal safety and welfare beyond just the racing but also the conditions of how you know i think even in one case one horse was spooked by a horrifically placed dj booth with you know certain types of stimulants that provoked anxiety in the animals and so i think this is i, I really like seeing this step being taken at least to say like you know what can we do to make something that's i mean frankly very unsafe <laughs> which is raising horses as fast as they go to fatigue and past it safer at least but it's it's a big move to shut down hopefully review it
1: I agree. I agree. We'll see, we'll see what comes with this, and hopefully we can make the the sport safer as a whole. And this next one coming in is from a fortune. And the headline is big companies from PepsiCo to GM still backing pride. The still backing pride is in reference to the whole InBev Anheuser-Busch. Dylan Mulvaney fiasco, which kind of played out on Twitter, in which they gave trans influencer, you know, a bottle of beer and everyone proceeded to lose their minds. It seems that corporations are still backing pride. I know that the, the LGBTqiI plus community approaches corporate backing of Pride with a probably very well-deserved level of skepticism, but this is our first podcast in Pride and I think important to talk about, especially as in this po- podcast we talk about corporate governance, social, and environmental responsibility, and yeah, so Sir George, what's, what's your take? Why, why in particular do we include this story
0: here? I think it's interesting sort of watching current sentiment, especially if you look at, I think it's the 17 states with trans, anti-transgender type laws rolling out and suddenly pulling in what previously didn't feel like with regard to LGBTQ rights and, and Pride Month, turning it into a sadly partisan battle, not about rights anymore, but you know because you support this, suddenly you're now going to be... Anti, you're going to be woke, anti-woke. You're in this narrative of, as a company, all right, we're going to boycott you, not boycott you. And based on simple statements of support, and it's uniquely different than last year, I think. So I'm watching actually the, the CSR, corporate social responsibility of large companies, because I'm just kind of curious, because they've all been watching the Anheuser-Busch fallout. And how that relates to how CSR dollars go toward or, or away from potentially supporting LGBTQ rights and, and messaging this month. It's not the same as last year though. So there's, I think something to, to watch.
1: Yeah, I think, yeah, really complicated, but I mean, the bottom line is there's essentially a rate. I would say an increase in LGBT hate or particularly the the platforming of that hate. And particularly towards the trans community. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what businesses do this year as opposed to last year. All right. We've had a good run, George. As per tradition in the podcast, I know you like to close out with a joke.
0: And I would, I, I I've come joke, mentally prepared. Good. Uh, <laughs> okay. Nick, quest, question. Why did the pet shelter plant dogwood trees in their backyard? Wait, what? Why did the pet shelter pet shelter plant, plant dog dogwood trees specifically in their in their backyard i i don't know they like the bark oh i see (laughs) he's not happy i'm not happy (laughs) all right can't all be winners thanks for staying with us see you next time thanks george this has been using the whole whale podcast